This paid commercial may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the 2017 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Radio 1500 AM, proudly celebrating 12 years. Today's episode brings you big data. Here's your host, Jim Flyzik. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. I'm Jim Flyzik. During today's show, we will discuss how the explosion of big data is being addressed in government programs. With me today on the show are Dr. Ed Kearns, the Chief Data Officer at NOAA, Renee Wynn, the Chief Information Officer at NASA, Frank Konechny, the Chief Technology Officer, U.S. Uh, Air Force, Ram Pizzapati, the Data Integration and Analytics Director at Leidos, Alan Ford, the Director, Government Systems at Teradata, and Stephen Moore, the Vice President, Alpha 6 Corporation. Let's get into the uh, program, start hearing a little bit about progress you're making in the, with big data. Let's start with uh, Ed Kearns. Ed, can you tell us a little bit, give us some examples of where you see progress at NOAA in uh, the use of big data? Sure, Jim. And, uh, you know, no, we like to say we've been doing big data before we caught, before we had the term, right? Before so, the term, yeah. so oceanographers, meteorologists, by the nature of the work, have been doing big data. So on our back-end systems, we're making improvements on our, on our networks, on our supercomputing, on our observational platforms like uh, the new GoZar, Go16 uh, platform. is very exciting. But we're also looking to make new uh, relationships with industry so we can utilize some of the, the true big data analytics and processing and all this new technology that's coming online. Uh, so about two years ago, we signed uh, CRADAs, uh, so Cooperative Research and Development mm -hmm. Agreements, uh, with uh, Amazon, Google, IBM, Microsoft, and a uh, nonprofit out of the University of Chicago called the Open Commons Consortium. And through these CRADAs, we're exploring new ways of utilizing big data through these partnerships with industry. So we're, we're finding our way through this, and it's a, it's a three-year CRADA. E excellent, yeah. excellent. Collaboration and coordination sounds great. Uh, Renee Wynn, how about at NASA? I mean, we have uh, you know Air Force, NOAA, and NASA, because the, the, the agencies that come to mind that deal with lots and lots of data. Uh, can you tell us about some progress you're uh, seeing at NASA? Yes, I think what I'll do is begin with the story and build off of what Ed mentioned. Okay. And, and that is is that we, probably much like the Air Force and NOAA, big data has always been around and part of NASA. Sure. And as I look at our recent announcement um, about finding three new exoplanets, that is all imagery coming back from space cool using stuff. technology yeah. and engaging the public and helping us identify some of those additional exoplanets. So right. for us, it's about preparedness and advancing on the big data side, but also making sure that we engage the public so they can see how big data and how data is the wave of the next future. Wow, that's cool. The um Exoplanets. You know, I guess we fired Pluto as a planet, but now we're finding these other planets. You know, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting the way this world works. Uh, Alan Ford, t uh, the word Terra by itself it kind of implies big data to me, but Teradata. Tell us how you're supporting uh, Teradata, supporting your customer base, and helping move these uh, some progress you're seeing being made. Great. We've we've been in business for 30 years with the name Teradata, so we like to think we've been doing big data for a while too. So, I'd like to cite an yeah, example. Take, take credit for inventing it. I take credit. I take credit. For, I, I take <laughs> credit for inviting wireless all the time because I talk of Bluetooth before anyone else. But go oh, ahead. Fantastic. Uh, I'd like to cite an example of the convergence of big data with another major industry trend, and that's cloud computing. Our friends at the Air Force engage in data-driven vehicle management at uh, VizCOS. That's the uh, Vehicle Support Chain Operations Squadron. And they use big data in conjunction with a data warehouse of around 25 terabytes, which is 
you know, medium to small size these days, but uh, and managing a, a $7 billion fleet of specialty vehicles, uh, almost 80,000. Um, sensor data from vehicles is captured at every uh, refueling opportunity and transferred to the data warehouse where it's combined with about 200 other different data feeds and allows the, uh, the squadron to uh, do buy versus lease calculations, uh, condition-based maintenance, repair versus retire modeling, right. all sorts of, of, of interesting information, even what-if scenarios for funding adjustments. So cool. the Air Force is now engaged in a lift and shift program uh, to move the uh, Enterprise Data Warehouse from on-premises to the Amazon GovCloud. Okay. So that's 25 terabytes of data going into the cloud, supports the Pentagon's computing direction of uh, uh, any platform anywhere, high flexibility, instant scalability, rapid stand up, and all for a military mission in which success is riding on the ability to harness and handle big data Excellent. in an agile fashion. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, Frank Konechny, boy, it sounds like you just got set up there. We were talking about all these things <laughs> at Air Force. Let's talk general progress, though, here, and not, uh, you know, we'll get into the specific right. programs here in a couple minutes. The, uh, since we have lots of data, I mean, we, we established an Air Force data panel to govern all this data and to mm -hmm. query coordinated across all of the components because we have lots of components that want to do different things. And a part of this was we decided not to do a chief data office. And, it, and I'm associated with that a chief data officer to actually support as a self-service organiza self organization for all the data within the Air Force. That we be in charge of doing authoritative data registration, actually connecting authoritative data together into what we call information assets, exposing those information assets to uh, other people in the Air Force as well based upon use, controlling those assets and everything else. And part of this was, part of this effort, we set up Tiger Teams, but one of the Tiger Teams actually did an analytics analysis across the Air Force of the tools that we actually had and uh, all the projects that we're doing and determined where there were gaps in the analysis for those tools. And so now we're progressing down the path of saying, what other analysis tools do we actually need to support the missions that we have? And some of the missions that are coming across now are the IoT mission that we have, uh, you know, smart cities coming across, we're doing that pilot right now, and everything else. And so we're looking at what other specialized tools do we actually need to support what we want to do for the missions besides, you know, the ISR mission, the right. autometrics mission that we have, and everything else that we have. Sure. Our last radio show was Internet of Things, and it was fascinating to me hearing just the, that how many different things, you, you know, <laughs> are being, being worked on involving, quote, Internet of Things, you know. Uh, you can go to all kinds of things from cars and vehicles and programs and so forth. Uh, Ram Pispati, uh, how about Lidos? How does uh, Lidos, uh, where do you see some progress in the use of big data and the, the folks you're working with? Yeah, so thanks, Jim. Uh, at Lidos, we've significant experience in delivering big data solutions to all of these customers here mm -hmm. uh, across Intel, Defense, and lots of civil government agencies. But I want to talk about specifically the work that we're doing with NASA's Human Health and Performance Directorate down in Houston at the Johnson Space Center. Okay. Uh, when you think about NASA's data, you typically think about uh, engineering data, or as Rene said, satellite data and planetary data. Yeah. Watching that Mars rover and all that stuff. That's right. But at the Human Health and Performance Directorate, we focus on the astronauts' health and their safety. Hmm. So given that, we, the data that we collect and manage is primarily private medical data, health data and safety data. And we have lots of it, going back all the way to the uh, beginning of the space program in the 60s, right? So in order for us to do analysis across the board with this data, we started on our big data initiative called Impala about a year ago. And when we set out this project, we wanted to deliver three outcomes. One is to improve accessibility to our data. We have a lot of data that's spread across many systems. And these systems, 5, 10, 15 years ago when they were designed, they were not designed to deliver, uh, you know, do analytics at scale. Right. 
The second one is to make analytics cost effective. And finally, keeping our eye on the big picture and why we're doing big data analytics. Not, we're doing it because not because it's cool, but really we want to make improve the quality of the decisions we're making. Yeah, well, I like the idea of health. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, there's an example of how big data can do, you know, is doing something that uh, you know has a direct positive impact on a, on a, a human being. And uh, I'm looking forward to the day where so, there's like a smart pill I can take and goes through and it makes my back feel better and stuff like that. But uh, the uh, after su go, suffering through some back surgeries, uh, Stephen Moore, Alpha Six, tell us a little bit about how Alpha Six is playing in this big data world and the kinds of things you're doing for your customers. Customers. Sure. Uh, so we've been working with a lot of uh, smaller organizations that are looking for how do we get into big data. And mm -hmm. so, you know, it's kind of a nebulous term like cloud or something right. like that. And there's a lot of buzzwords and uh, the people that are charged with these missions don't necessarily know what all these uh, terms mean. Sure. So we work with them, especially in the areas like cybersecurity uh, and fraud analysis, and try to help them build architectures that are going to be open and scalable uh, and allow them to do much more advanced analytics that they're currently uh, right. able to do today. You know, especially in the area of cybersecurity, as everyone knows, the biggest, most well-funded organizations in the world are constantly being broken into, and it's not that they're right. not smart people and not doing good things, but just we need to take that technology to the next level, and yeah. we're seeing that big data really brings uh, some capabilities in that area. Yeah, excellent point, because you know that area, especially that cyber area, is just going to continue to be a front burner issue for for a long time to come. So. Yeah, seeing that there, you guys are out there working that issue is uh, good to know. Let's talk about a specific program. Our listeners always like to hear about, you know, tell me, tell me about a program that you're proud of that you can point to that you think's uh, really taking advantage. Let's start with Renee Wynn this time. Renee, um, if I asked you, pick a program at NASA. I know you've got many, 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 but pick one that you think is uh, big data is really making, uh, going to help make a difference. What would you choose? Well, you have the health of the astronauts and the mm -hmm. comparison in that, but I want to pull it down to, I think, a small thing that I hope most folks would understand, and that is is the A that we have that's aeronautics, okay. since I have colleagues here that, that run satellite programs as well, so I think they can speak to that. And that is, is taking the data and using the data to help save lives. And so we recently, uh, in, in a partnership, developed an API that saves pilots when they uh, get to the G-force and they lose consciousness and the data takes over and the airplane is then, or the jet, probably the better language, is then taken over by the automotive systems and saves the lives so that as the pilot is blacked out and he or she begins to come to, that airplane is not headed at high speeds into the side of the mountain or into the ground. That this is where data and human are working together to save lives and to help folks get better trained. And so this is data at work, yeah. saving our pilots that are out there uh, testing testing everything and testing the bounds. And so I think it's really important for us to talk about the data and how it can be used in everyday life. This is the everyday life of a test pilot or yeah, a pilot in general. Absolutely. But this is where it makes a difference uh, for folks. And that is big data being synthesized down to turning our machines to help save us and putting the data out there and, and thinking of different story. ways. I love that story. I just love the stories where you actually can talk about how the technology is actually doing things that are saving lives or, or making improvements and things going on in our country and so forth. Uh, Frank, uh, Frank, if I asked you to point to a, a program, I know, again, Air Force probably has hundreds of them, but if I asked you to point to one that you think is yeah. one that you'd single out as thinking... Yeah, we have lots of them. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, you know, I normally talk about the logistics one, you know, repair parts for the airplanes, but I'm going to talk about something else this time. I, t I chose something that was out of, out of the norm that you would think the Air Force okay. would be doing. And that's basically, we're trying to do a predictive analysis for what makes a good officer. And looking at that characteristics of what, what do they need to be promoted and what is the, the factors in the promotion. It's been a five-year study of this now already. And one of the MATCHCOMs did this because they were, they were looking at their totals of their officer promotions and they realized they weren't keeping up with everybody else. And so they said, what makes a good officer? And as they go through the analysis now, they're finding that it's, it's of course, you know, standard stuff, education, everything else. But there's little factors, too. Even on their uh, progress reports, if, it, if the stratification, if they have a stratification, it actually counts better if they don't have a, if they, if they don't have stratification, it doesn't count at all. And so they're finding out there's nuances, even in the reporting, besides in the education and everything else and the training that they have to go through. So it's kind of interesting that from them, their perspective. That's interesting. And so they're increasing their officer promotion right now by 2 3% just okay. because they're looking at it across the board as what makes a good officer. That's interesting. Why don't we do that with CIOs and CTOs and things like that down the road? Um, the uh, Dr. Kearns, Ed Kearns, tell us if I ask you to pick a, a NOAA program that you think is really cool doing some neat things which one pops into your head yeah and it's one that we what we call the big data project I mentioned it before with you know it's a research project right now it's really a, a business experiment uh, that we have uh, going on right now through these creatives and it's you know can we leverage the value that's inherent in these data uh, to the wider community can we leverage that value to make them available to the community freely and openly so this is sort of the intersection between open data and, and the cloud technologies that are out there. So how do we make these available on these cloud platforms? So one of the, the first data set that we moved on this CRADA, um, I think everyone's familiar with, is uh, the NOAA's, uh, what we call NextRad Weather Radar. Mm -hmm. So everybody's got it on their phones, you see, you, know, you see the clouds, right. you see the precipitation. Well, there's a big archive of that weather data <coughs> that's uh, been available since like 1992. Uh, but it's very hard to, has been very hard to use. And for these big data algorithms, you need the entire archive in order to train your new algorithms to do this kind of big data applications. Mm -hmm. No one's been able to do that before. So we moved, we NOAA moved the entire archive to four of the five collaborators that we have um, that wanted to use the data. So Amazon was one of the ones that took it on, and they were the first ones to release it as a public service. So you can go to Amazon today, and for free, download any of the data that you want from, from NOAA's weather radars that's ever been collected. Or you can leave it in place and compute in place. Mm -hmm. And so it's been very exciting because just by placing it in that platform, we've seen the, the, the use of the data go up 230%. So more people than ever are sure. using it. Uh, Amazon is distributing a lot of it free, for free, but they are also, uh, most customers are keeping it on their system, so they're computing on the system. So Amazon's able to get the return on investment that they need to make this whole business experiment work. Right. And, and it's a nice service for, for businesses who are coming in and computing like mad on this data, and they're making new products, they're getting products out to, uh, to market faster than ever before. Very cool. The, uh, going all the way back to the reinventing government days, we, we actually did, this is back in the 90s now, so things weren't, uh, big data wasn't uh, big data back then, but there was still a lot of data. We did a study of satellite uh, imagery coming in, NOAA was one of them, National Weather Service, on and on and on, and uh, all agencies, DOD, and found just amazing amounts of data that were being brought in and the agency using like a fraction of it, like like two percent, and the rest of it just went into like data dumps, you know. And then, it, but when you looked at the data, you realized other agencies could use this, and the public can use this. So it sounds like that's pretty much what you're talking about here: is making data available to for uh, all kinds of uses. And it's changing that paradigm. Before, if you wanted to move a large data or use a large data set, you had to move it. 
right? Mm -hmm. So if it was like this, say the new uh, Go 16 data, which is about to become available very, very soon, right, mm -hmm. for the public use. Well, in the old days, you'd have to move it down to your, you know, through the networks to your local machine and then, and then compute right. on it. That's very hard to do. It's a big barrier for a lot of people. Sure. But now, if this data is going to be available on these cloud platforms, you can compute in place. You need not very move cool. these large data sets anymore, and we think this is going to encourage use. Absolutely. Uh, Stephen Moore, if I asked you to uh, pick a program that you think uh, where you're supporting a customer that you'd point to as one that uh, you see real positive results uh, coming from, which one would you pick? Sure, I think, uh, you know, one of the programs we're working on with cybersecurity and bringing the big data uh, to that to that realm, being able to add in some capabilities like visualization and being able to do more advanced analytics at scale. So, for example, we're able to collect years worth of data and store it in the repository, and then start to find things like people that are trying to break into our networks, but they'll come in one day, take off a month or two, come in another day, take off a month or two, and so somebody who's willing to spend that amount of time and trying to fly under the radar, you can't detect with normal means by just looking at the last 30 days or 60 days for the data that traditional tools are looking at. Yeah. So that's one example of the type of thing. Another is that, uh, now that we have a platform that we can do uh, real processing with real programming languages against the data, we can start to do more advanced anomaly detection. So uh, beyond just looking for signatures and alerts of things going on, we can go and take six or eight months or years worth of data for machines, build a profile of how they behaved, then we can take the last day of traffic for how those machines behaved, and we can compare the two and tell you not only who's acting anomalously compared to how they normally act, but how anomalous they are and assign a score. And so now the big point there is that when you're doing analysis, it's all about time that you can save right. the analyst. So anything that we can do uh, where we can really point them and say, hey, here are the things that you really need to focus on right. is a big winner. Yeah, no, I like that. So you're, you're basically, Getting it down to here are where you really should be spending your time because here's the things that are you know, anomalies. Right. Here's the weird things going on that need to be focused that you on. Necessarily yeah, I want to hear from Ram and Alan on this too. But before we do that, we're going to take a short break. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Let's face it, big data is complicated, too much of it. It changes quickly and so many sources. But if you can turn your big data into big understanding, it's simply invaluable. To get you there, Lidos has developed analytical tools that improve the speed, quality, and predictive powers of big data analytics. It helps analysts avoid surprises, understand the present, and shape the future. Learn how Lidos creates practical answers for a complicated world at Lidos.com. That's L-E-I-D-O-S.com. Teradata helps government agencies get more value from data than any other company. Teradata's big data analytics solutions help organizations transform insights into real-time actions for their agencies. The result is the time and freedom to focus more on what's really important, something every citizen will appreciate. Learn more about what Teradata can do for your organization by visiting teradata.com government. That's teradata.com government. Hadoop, Kafka, Apache Drill, NoSQL, HBase, Spark, Kibana, Parquet. You've heard all the big data buzzwords before, you just don't know what they all mean. That may be exactly why you aren't leveraging technology that allows you to store more data for longer periods of time and perform more advanced analytics. Alpha 6 was recently recognized by HPE as Federal Strategic Partner of the Year. We have many proven big data implementations in government already. Let us help with your big data initiatives. Learn more at alpha6corp.com. 
Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. I'm Jim Fleisick here with Ed Kearns from NOAA, Renee Wynn from NASA, Frank Konechny from the U.S. Air Force, Ram Kizapati from Blitos, Alan Ford from Teradata, and Stephen Moore from Alpha 6 Corporation. We're talking big data. When we went to break, we heard from most of our panelists about a, a specific program um, that they would point at uh, as, as one that they think is going to make a difference. Uh, Ram, uh, how about at Lidos? If I asked you to point out a program that you're you're supporting that you think is going to really make a difference. So I'll go back to NASA again. We're, we're working with a program called Crew Health and Safety Program at the NASA. Okay. And the main uh, purpose of the Crew Health and Safety Program is to ensure that the health and the performance of the astronaut is taken care of while they're living and working in space, right? So using all the data that we have from the 1960s, we're trying to do two things with this program. Number one is to maximize the use of that data in a systematic way so that we can identify any unique health risks to the astronaut. The other one we are doing is to improve the understanding of our epidemiologists in understanding you know, any long-term health effects for, from living and working in, in the space environment. So those are the two things that I think we're making uh, yeah. progress with. And, and again, great stories that yeah. are really driving home how the data is being used and for real. And, and Renee, you're on a win, on a roll here, man. I mean, NASA's getting uh, all kinds of kudos here today. Uh, Alan Ford, uh, Terry Data, tell us uh, if I asked you to point out a specific program uh, and pick one, what would you? Wh which one would you pick that you think is going to make a big? Big difference. Well, I hate to break stride here and not talk about Air Force or NASA, but <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to cite uh, CMS, uh, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Uh, they have an enterprise data warehouse called the IDR, Integrated Data Repository, that's uh, around 600 terabytes in size right now, and it's helped uh, detect and recover an average of $3.3 billion of fraud, waste, and abuse that's every good. year over the past three years. That's $10 billion in the last three years. That's, that's a good recovery. Uh, it's based on a high-volume data warehouse, includes information such as uh, Medicare beneficiary data, claims information, provider data, contract information, risk scores, and the combination of all these data sources into one integrated environment uh, empowers CMS to use the data to generate new insight into waste and fraud. And so it's highly effective and efficient. For every $1 they spend in fraud investigation, the average recovery is $8. There was a big news story that hit the media outlets last year in June a joint task force between uh, Health and Human Services and DOJ stopped $900 million in fraud via uh, false billing schemes across hundreds of different in individuals, wow. all powered by big data in the IDR. And Teradata's been helping CMS with this for 10 years now. Terrific. That's a great story. Great story. Um, Frank Konechny, let's start with you. Lessons learned. Um, as you work your way through these programs, Frank, what are some of the lessons learned you'd, you'd pass on uh, that uh, perhaps would help your other colleagues work on these issues? The first thing <laughs> is governance. You have to have governance to figure out what you're doing. Now, you know, everybody, we have so many different variations of big data out there that you have lots of stovepipes, and people want to keep their data in their stovepipes. And so when we talk about for the Air Force, we want to be able to combine data together. This is very difficult for these people to understand that they have to give up control over their data to, like, our data office and understand that they have to merge it together with something else. Yeah, right. And so you have to have governance as to determining how you're going to do that, how you're going to have people actually work with each other in this kind of environment that they can actually release data to other people that they don't really know, like our analysis group, to figure out some other uh, issues that they have. And at the same time, 
determine if that's the sources are authoritative because right. one of the big deals we have is that everybody wants to believe that they have the authoritative source for everything. And so for the Air Force, you have to determine across the board what is the authoritative source for the data elements in all the databases, all the authoritative data sources that we have. And on top of that, as we go to the analytics, is what tool is the best tool that you have to select for the analysis you want to get done? Mm -hmm. And how are you going to present this to the user? Because that's going to be a big deal. Because our user population is not necessarily analysts. It's you know, four-star generals sure. and secretaries and, and political appointees and things. And you have to understand that they do not know all the nuances of everything that's going on. So right. the tool set is very important. So as we do this, we're trying to figure out how you're going to do, the, do that, how you're going to set up the organization to actually support this. And for our case, as I said, we want to be a service organization. We do not want to do the job of everybody else. Because as soon as we start doing that, we need a staff of you know, 200,000 people. <laughs> so we're trying to keep that down, can't do that. And the other thing is you have to figure out some kind of training that you have to support. You've got to train the people into understanding what's going on. We have to train our data scientists. We have to train people into what we want to get out of this particular you know, the data that you're actually going to. And the last, which I'll mention, is the security classification of the data. Sure. As soon as you combine it together, you may increase the security classification. You have to control it anyways by right. some means, and it has to be automated because otherwise you'll lose control. So right. those are the things no that you have to watch out for. No what subject we do a radio show on, security gets mentioned quite a few times throughout the show. Uh, Ed Kearns, what uh, are some of the lessons you're learning, some things you're discovering along the way as you work through these programs? Yeah, and building on what Frank said, um, you know, this uh, uh, providing the authoritative uh, nature of the data is very important for, for NOAA. And it's uh, in this new big data world uh, with the cloud platform is a particular challenge. So it's you know what what Noah calls stewardship. It's you know taking care of the data, curating the data, providing uh, quality control of the data, and it's very valuable for our data users to be able to depend upon that government data. Sure. Uh, in this new big data world, and when we're pushing data out, we're publishing it out outside the federal boundary onto our collaborator systems. How do we ensure that that authoritative nature continues to pass across? And so our the data that people are picking up today, they're picking up from a NOAA server so they know it's the right. real stuff. Okay, if they're picking it up from Amazon or Google, how do they know it's the real stuff? And once right. it's been loaded into like uh, BigQuery on Google, how do they right. know it's been loaded correctly? So we're working with our collaborators to extend that authoritative nature into their space. Yeah, right? that's, that's real important, you know, because there is so much uh, bogus stuff going on and so much phishing and, and spear phishing attacks, things like that, that are jumping in to, to inject false data inside of these data streams. So uh, very important, excellent. Um, Renee. Uh, lessons learned along the way. So I just want to add one item to Ram's point about the, the health data and why it's big data is because we're looking at genetics and as you know you need a lot of compute power to really do sure. the genetics and so I just didn't want it lost that when we're talking about this health data and the comparison there's a huge amount of compute that goes along with this. My focus is going to be building upon what the others have already said but it's on the people side and your workforce. You really, this is big data and easy access to data and data that's at the back of your closet, you know, your old 1960s data, and that requires the mind to be different and approach problems very differently than we have before. Mm -hmm. So even if you give access to information, you've got to be far more curious. You have to take that prism and turn it so that the light comes through in a different angle and shows you things that you have never seen before. And so our problem solving, our curiosity, a much more flexible mindset is needed at the workforce. And then if I look at the decision makers, so many times I see some decisions come forward with, I think we ought to do this. 
And the data is scant at best because it's personal opinion. And so we've got to, as leaders, step forward and ask folks to show us the data associated with your opinion and invite different perspectives to the table to really turn that prism and borrow that again to make that decision. So we need to be more curious than we've ever been before. We have to um, think differently than we have before. We obviously have to have the tool sets Um, and the computing power to go with it, but is our workforce ready and are we ready as leaders to really look at problems in a different mindset in order to get solutions that are data-driven with stories around it? Very well said, and I think, you know, when we think of NASA and all the great things that have have come, the creativity that's come out of NASA over the years and all, but you can see that you still, in order to maintain that that uh, reputation, you have to be ahead of the curve and, and think different ways. I like that a lot. Um, uh, Ram Pitspati, uh, how about lessons learned um, from uh, the, the Lighthouse perspective? What are some of the things you're learning along the way as you're working with your customers? So I'll build on what other people have already said. And I'll give you um, one each in people, process, and technology. How about that? Okay. Right. On, on the technology side, uh, the easy one, the big data technology roadmap is changing. It's very fluid. It's very unstable at the moment. So if you're an architect trying to make a decision on a product, you don't know if the product is going to be around another two years. Right. So that's why going with vendor agnostic frameworks is going to be important rather than going, you know, tying into right. a specific architecture. The other one is to have a separate plan on, on the process side, to have a separate plan for data security and data privacy. It's very important for you know some of the programs with NASA that we're working on where we capture a lot of personally identifiable information. Mm -hmm. So having those things integrated into your platform right at the get-go is going to be very important. Excellent. And on the people side, having an early plan on how you're going to grow the talent organically within the organization is important. You can bring in people to do data analytics, but when it comes to interpreting the results of the analysis, when it comes to recommending based on the analysis, you need people with deep understanding of the data. Absolutely. You need people with expertise. And like like uh, Renee said, you got to think different. You know, yeah. begin um, you know, changing your mindset according to the evolution of uh, what, what's happening out there. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. Uh, Stephen Moore, what are some of the lessons learned um, at uh, Alpha 6 as you work your way with your customers? I think I'm going to kind of you know mirror a lot of the things that Ram said, and and okay. one of the things we've really learned is providing flexibility. You know, there's no one magic bullet tool, and so when you're building a big data architecture, you have to find a way to combine multiple capabilities so that the analysts can get to the data for a variety of means. So maybe you have a lot of SQL analysts, or they want to be able to do search on different terms, right. or they want to do visualization, and so you need to be able to build an architecture that allows you to plug and play with a lot of these different analytics tools because there's not going to be just one way that's going to be the right way and over time it's going to change and so you need to build it in such a way that you can replace these components over time as new technology comes out because it's really at the end of the day it's all about how do you use the data. If we have just big store data and we can't do anything with it it's of no value and so it's finding these flexible ways uh, that the analysts can come in and do analysis uh, to whatever their bent is that uh, really brings a lot yeah, of success. Excellent. excellent. And Ed, you had a comment on that? Yeah, just to follow up, uh, because this is a really key point about the being able to understand the data they use is, is incredible. Um, and it's a big barrier 
to the use of these data that we're talking about by, you know, in an open platform. So, so NOAA's data is almost all of it's full and open, and it's available on some portal today at, at NOAA if you can find it, if you know who to ask, right? right. Um, but the data's not moving, right? So it's not moving to these cloud platforms, and we're wondering why. And the biggest thing is, as my colleagues are describing here, is being able to understand the data. But the data analyst has got to understand what they're looking at, mm -hmm. and, and it's a huge challenge. So, so access to the data or access to the, the technology it's necessary but insufficient, right, to actually make this data used, right. get these data used. So somehow, the uh, the experts that are within the agencies have to be able to get that knowledge across that barrier to others so they, they can pick it up and use it. Yeah, and that's a particular human challenge. Yeah, and it, what I've just picked up from Stephen and you, is it's almost like a, a a process you go through where you know, you're know you not going to go in, you go in and have a platform, but you want to take advantage of tools that are already there. You can't throw away everything. And on the other hand, you want that platform to be flexible enough so that over time, as these new tools come, you can begin plugging in the new new tools based on what you learn about the, the, the data requirements for each of them. Uh, Alan Ford, uh, lessons learned um, at Teradata. What are some of the things you'd throw out there as some, some things you're learning along the way? Well, I'll just pile on with the rest of the panel. Certainly there were a lot of technical lessons well, learned, but... Being last, no ditto. <laughs> this is right, this is true. <laughs> but, uh, of course, the process side had to change quite a bit. Uh, harnessing big data requires agility and rapid development cycles, and yesterday's uh, IT and business processes are just too slow and antiquated to, to deal with big data. So, I think uh, often, um, certainly at the first couple of attempts at big data projects, the first step was streamlining process and procedure in order to, uh, to, to make the big data projects work. So, you know, examples would be um, access to new data sources has to be quick and easy. There's uh, a, a two-month data provisioning cycle for a new data feed just doesn't work anymore when right. we've got new, new data coming online on a daily basis. And so, new analytical techniques have to be developed and deployed quickly and, uh, you know, even application release cadences have to narrow down to, you know, uh, weeks to months rather than you know a new release every couple sure, of years. So. Sure, I have a saying that uh, we're approaching like a, a, a fourth or maybe even a fifth dimension where decision making time is approaching zero in terms of you know, how fast we're going to have to be able to, to get information to individuals to make decisions. Uh, the, and, and be able to have the analytics in place that can, can do that kind of thing. Uh, let's talk about the hard stuff, the constraints, the challenges, the things that are, you know, sort of, you know, things you need to get over to get to where you want to be with these programs, the challenges. So let's start with the Ed Kearns. Ed, what are some of the challenges you face that you think still need to be overcome in order to get to where you want to be with some of these programs? Yeah, I think scale is a big one when we're talking about open data. Um, our experience in NOAA is that our, our data are so popular that we can't build our access systems fast enough in order to enable them to be used. As soon as we put a new access system out, it gets filled to capacity right away. Right. And, and we realize we're never going to have the appropriated dollars to keep up with that, with that trend because as the data becomes more understood, it becomes more popular and the use is going through the roof. And that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. But we can't do it ourselves. Right. So to achieve that scale, we're looking at these partnerships with industry. And I think one of the, the great things here is if, if industry is helping through a partnership to basically resource that access and utilization through provision of data through these cloud platforms, the, the market can get what it needs, right? So right now we can't keep up with market demand. If the market is part of the equation, they can help determine what that is. The most popular data sets can be scaled up, the access and utilization can be scaled up to what everybody needs. Right, interesting. Uh, when I was uh, back CIO at Treasury, and this, 
dating myself here, but when electronic filing first came out for the IRS, that's exactly what we were doing. We were like throwing servers at every day. I mean, it's like, you know, you know, just throwing more and more and more and more equipment. And then, uh, and then it came on the day, the last day of the, when you get the form that is the extension to uh, extend the time to file, we blew them all up because I couldn't handle them. Um, Renee, uh, challenges, constraints, the, the tough things, the things that you need to get worked through in order to get where you want to be. Yeah, so I think one of the things is you actually have to understand the data you have. We've got some older agencies sitting here at the table and we've got older data sitting around. Do you really know what you have right. in the back of your closet, so to speak? Then as we're creating more and more algorithms, are we keeping up with truly understanding what our algorithms do and how does that knowledge base get preserved and passed along as the data comes through? This boils down to different models of data and data stewardship. I think it's gonna require, as I said before, a lot different thinking in our approach. We have some legacy systems and so you get into the spend issue of how much of this data do I bring forward into maybe a newer, more consumable format um, and you know, lift and shift it, or do I just leave it behind and know that it's a specialty access that I might have? And I think finally, we also have to think, and I'm going back to the workforces, we have folks entering the workforce that now have, that can enter the workforce in this area that may have never thought they could. And that's folks that might be hearing impaired, sight impaired, right. certainly physical, um, impairment because you can talk to your computer and have it talk back. So now we can do this voice interaction with it. And so again, the more you know about the data, the more you might voice what you have happen. We have the typical keyboard efforts in this one, but this this means too that we're gonna have access to new folks in the workforce that may never have had a seat at the table right. um, because now our computers interact with us better. There you go, wait until those kids get in the workforce, boy. I mean, yeah, talk about some challenges. The, uh, but uh, it's interesting, um, it was, was mentioned earlier about big data and cloud sort of uh, you know, coming together in different ways. But when we do the cloud program, the point you just brought up about knowing your data, a lot of agencies are discovering things that they have as they move to the cloud that they had no idea they even had these programs and, uh, around for some time. Um, Frank, uh, challenges. Well, okay, I'll start with the culture issue. All right, we got it, got it on the table. That's, uh, that's, I know we had to do that see, eventually. See, Frank, Frank knows, uh, I joke that uh, this is show 149. We have not had any show where someone hasn't brought up culture. So, I mean, and then us as the stovepipes, you know, how do, how do you share the data across, the, across all of the components now? The other thing is perceptions. Perceptions are really bad sometimes. You know, it's the, and, you know, I'll give you one good one. Machine learning solves all problems. I mean, I get that all the time. Why can't you just use machine learning to tell me what the answer is? And you're like, do you, know, you even know what's in the data now? You know, right. what does it actually mean to you? you know? And so we get, we get that a lot. But then the worst possible stuff is that we, we don't know, okay, we don't know what our data is. We're trying to find that out now. We're trying to find out where to put all the data because we have so much data, we have exabytes of data and we are not actually processing all those exabytes. Right. I mean, just can't. And so we're trying to figure out how, how should we put it, how should we store it, how long should we keep it? Because some of our missions are time sensitive. Right. And so if looking at data five years ago is not meaningful anymore. Right. Right. <laughs> some of it is, but some of it isn't. Right. So we're trying to figure that, and also where can we put it so that we're not dependent upon a particular cloud vendor? We can't be 
held hostage for a cloud vendor and we put exabytes of data someplace. So we may have to put a, a, use a hybrid kind of component of cloud, basically saying we're going to put the data someplace which we have control of and then use the commercial cloud vendors for their competing power to actually do some of the analysis work. And so we're trying to do that as well as, you know, looking at classifications and, and, and basically making sure that all the data is, is truly authoritative. That, right. That's our big issue right now is tough what's ones, authoritative. Tough ones. Tough ones. Good, good content there. Um, I want to hear from our industry guest on this topic also, but first we need to take a short break. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Hadoop, Kafka, Apache Drill, NoSQL, HBase, Spark, Kibana, Parquet. You've heard all the big data buzzwords before, you just don't know what they all mean. That may be exactly why you aren't leveraging technology that allows you to store more data for longer periods of time and perform more advanced analytics. Alpha 6 was recently recognized by HPE as Federal Strategic Partner of the Year. We have many proven big data implementations in government already. Let us help with your big data initiatives. Learn more at alpha6corp.com. Teradata helps government agencies get more value from data than any other company. Teradata's big data analytic solutions help organizations transform insights into real-time actions for their agencies. The result is the time and freedom to focus more on what's really important, something every citizen will appreciate. Learn more about what Teradata can do for your organization by visiting teradata.com government. That's teradata.com government. Let's face it, big data is complicated, too much of it. It changes quickly and so many sources. But if you can turn your big data into big understanding, it's simply invaluable. To get you there, Lidos has developed analytical tools that improve the speed, quality, and predictive powers of big data analytics. It helps analysts avoid surprises, understand the present, and shape the future. Learn how Lidos creates practical answers for a complicated world at Lidos.com. That's L-E-I-D-O-S.com. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. I'm Jim Flyzik here with Ed Kearns from NOAA, Renee Wynn from NASA, Frank Konechny from the U.S. Air Force, Ram Pispati from Lidos, Alan Ford from Teradata, and Stephen Moore from Alpha 6 Corporation. We were talking challenges. We heard from our government guests. Let's, let's hear from our industry guests. Let's start with Stephen Moore. What are some of the challenges you see out there, uh, Stephen? Uh, I would bring up integrating these technologies into the government environment from a security perspective. So a lot of these tools were not designed with security in mind at all, much less the government level of requirements for security. And so bringing in these multiple tools and integrating them with things like Kerberos or what's the right level right. of encryption to have and all those sorts of things, uh, that's always a challenge on a program is determining you know what we need to have to meet the requirements in the government agency and then how are we going to implement it. Yeah. Excellent. And Excellent. the other thing I would bring up uh, just quickly is training. And so you know once we get these tools and technologies out there, you're having to go back to the people who actually need to use the tools make sure and make sure you actually train them on what they're doing so they can uh, get past the mindset not of just doing what I've been doing, but also now what's now possible that I can do with these new technologies. And so right. providing proper training is another challenge. Ram, what, what, what challenges? I'll build on what Frank said about you know um, culture 
you know, we'll need to shift this conversation from data protection to data preservation. Mm -hmm. right? Data protection, you're thinking about backup, recovery, and those kind of things. Data preservation means you want to have usability of the data for long periods of time. So, you know, DVD players were all the fad two years ago, five years ago. Now you can barely find a laptop with the DVD players. Right. Right? So I think ensuring that the formats uh, continue, continue to be usable, I think, is a big one. And more specifically to the NASA program that we're working on, astronaut privacy. Right. Astronauts are like celebrities, very small sample size, a lot of information available about them publicly, so we have to be extra careful uh, when releasing information outside that we don't release any attributable information. Absolutely, absolutely. So I guess all those beta tapes I have sitting around the house time to get rid of, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, Alan, what are the, when, when I ask about challenges, what comes to, to mind? Well, certainly managing large volumes of data and a wide variety of data across multiple platforms, but trying to get it to act like a single ecosystem is a challenge. Uh, and the ability to combine analytics and analytical models across structured data and unstructured data also equally challenging. So um, as an example, we've been talking about some healthcare. So we've set up what we call a unified data architecture at the Defense Health Agency. And it has uh, a Hadoop component, a complex analytical environment component, and a data warehouse component. And it allows DHA to create a 360 degree view of their patient population, uh, help deliver better health services at lower costs, uh, enables some health science population studies, and uh, serves the data archive requirements. And it, uh, it solves the challenges by allowing structured and unstructured data to exist side by side in both a, a Hadoop and an enterprise data warehouse environment, uh, and with a discovery system sitting on top of it that can send portions of a question to each relevant and respective part of the ecosystem and combine the results into a single answer. Wow. We ought to maybe put a team together of Teradata, Lidos, and Alpha 6 Corporation. Sounds to me like the three of you all have some like really smart ideas there, and if you put them all together, it could turn into something really neat. Um, we want to shift now and start looking to the future, like we always like to do. Um, we like to end the shows by just thinking, what will this all mean to us down the road? You know, what uh, uh, we're, we're doing these programs today, but um, what will, how it, will it change government in the future? How will it change lives? How will it change the way government industry operate and so forth. So we want to share a vision for the future, and I'm going to ask each panelist to give us about a minute and a half version of uh, what that future might look like. We'll start with Stephen Moore and work our way right back down the table to me. Uh, Stephen, um, what's it look like for you and your crystal ball out there? I would say moving to more of a services model, and what I mean by that is Right now, a lot of organizations are, have a big data project over here and a big data project over there, and maybe another one over here, and they're kind of stovepipes still. And the ability to move to a model where we have general purpose architectures that provide, you know, here's how you can store a file, here's how you can stream data, here's how you can do processing against it, and here's different, you know, visualization tools and that sort of thing, so that programs can begin to take advantage of building blocks rather than having to start from scratch. Uh, each time and so I think we've seen a lot of success out with like the AWS type yeah, of model uh, on the internet and I think within government agencies we could uh, achieve a lot of success there and help a lot more missions get uh, spun up more rapidly. Excellent, excellent. I think if we covered those challenges that uh, I believe Frank brought up, the governance and the culture challenge, then you can begin moving to those more integrated uh, platforms. Uh, Ram Pitspati, what do you, uh, at Light Dose, what, uh, what's it look like to you? What's the future? What's all this going to mean to us down the road? Yeah, so you know, for me, 
big data is not about managing large volumes of data. It's about unlocking the value that's there in that data, right? Mm -hmm. So, well, so in that context, on the research side, you'll see big data an analytics being used to generate new hypotheses, generate you know new prospects for research. So today we look at slivers of data. Now we can apply machine learning, exploit unknown relationships, unknown correlations between data points, and, and generate new hypotheses for research. Um, I, the other one is, uh, I think, big data analytics is going to play a huge role in preparing ourselves for this emerging area of personalized medicine, precision medicine. Mm -hmm. So in, in, that, in that context, like Rene said, genomics, proteomics, all kinds of omics are going to play a huge role, uh, and, and big data is going to take us there. Yeah, I'm looking forward. Why don't they, the genetic stuff, where they get that um, ability to identify the gene that slows the aging process? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, Frank Konechny, what, uh, what's this look like down the road? What's, what's the future look like? What, what's this all going to mean to us? Why are we doing this? What's it going to look, help? Uh, I, I think that we're going to start moving towards more prescriptive analytics. I mean, we do trending and we do prediction now. I think we're going to go to prescriptive, which means that it's going to be telling us what the best choices are. This is kind of like AI, but not really, mm -hmm. because AI has autonomy associated with it. But it's getting to the point now where we want to be able to go through large amounts of real-time data immediately mm -hmm. and to tell us what the best choice outcome would be of what we should do next. Because as we get more and more complex, especially in cybersecurity and everything else, we want to be able to say, to give me what the best outcome is going to be based upon the data I'm seeing right now. Mm -hmm. And we don't have enough time for the analyst to sit there and analyze, you know, an exabyte of data. So I think that we're going to get to the point where prescriptive analysis is going to be the thing, and it's going to be, give me three choices, here's the best one from the system says, and I'll make the decision. Yeah, similar to what Stephen was talking about earlier, where you, you can try to look at all that data over periods of time and boil down the thing, this is what you really should be spending your time on, because this is where the real issues are. Um, Alan Ford, as you uh, look to the future and look at all these programs, uh, what do you see uh, the, the future being shaped in your mind down the road? Well, we're creating 2.5 quintillion bytes, or 2.5 exabytes of new data every day. I'm going to need a cheat sheet pretty soon. <laughs> as you you are. What's the next word we're going to use for like a, a, godzillion, <laughs> a godzillion amount of data? I think they still have to invent some more prefixes, but that's, you know, like 50 terabytes every second of new data. Uh, and it's the, the rate of data creation is increasing. And 90% of it these days are unstructured. Social media, imagery, video. It's, much, it's far too much data to be tracked and analyzed by humans. So we're going to see autonomous decision-making platforms become prevalent. These are platforms that are composed of, of algorithms that can sift through the exabytes of data to look for anomalies that may signify something within the systems they monitor is abnormal and requires attention. And if the platform itself can't solve the problem, then it has to alert a human to apply some sort of strategic problem solving to the issue. Um, people don't scale easily. Uh, systems scale, but, but people don't. Data scales, but people don't. So uh, we've got more data than, than eyeballs to, to, to watch the data. So these autonomous decisioning systems have to, have to allocate the grunt work of interpreting results to the algorithms and delegate the str strategic thinking to people. I like that. Um, it's sort of a little science fiction there, you know, but uh, we got the machines figuring stuff out, and then, hey, human being, I need you over here. Uh, but uh, <coughs> autonomous decision-making, that's a good one. Um, Renee Wynn, what does this all look to you in the future? What's your vision in terms of where all these programs are going to take us and what it'll mean to 
the government and the country and in industry and so forth. So it took a little different tact on this question. Fine. I think it boils down to me quite simply. It's, it's data on demand, when you need it, where you need it, to turn science fiction into fact more quickly to advance the economy and human knowledge for the benefit of all. Wow. That's well said. Precise. You really get that one. And it sort of like triggers right off of what Alan was saying there. But, um, but I think people will look at uh, agencies, you know, like NASA, as being uh, a leader in that type of thinking. So. It is. So that's what we do, right? You put a hard problem, NASA hard is what we like to call it. We put it out there and we say, can we do it? And we even ask the ethical questions of should we do it? Right. And when you go along that path, whether you are successful at the intended outcome, the whole path of the journey along the way was a lot of invention, a lot of science was discovered along the way, a lot of technology is invented. And we are very much on that journey with data and the interaction of humans with machines and how can machines better our lives if you look at Watson mm -hmm. and how it interacts can, with doctors and doctors that are located all over the globe. This is exactly what big data is supposed to be about, is really kind of turn things around and giving everybody equal access to a strong economy, just like we have in this country. Yeah. And so that's what we've got to remember is it's, it's the journey journey that we're on that really is what's making the difference. That's excellent. And, you know, and it's, uh, and, and, you know, I would predict, and I think we'd all agree that along the way, there are things we haven't even dreamed of yet that are going to happen. You know what I mean? Uh, as, as we learn how to use these tools and understand the data, there's going to be all kinds of neat stuff. So I, so I need that gene that keeps you younger, you know, <laughs> so I can be around to see some of this neat stuff down the road. Um, Ed Kearns, uh, doctor, what do you see in terms of looking to the future and how the programs you're working, what will they mean to uh, to us in the future and to the country and to lives and government industry relationships and everything else? That's all? That's all? Oh, yeah. <laughs> two minutes few, or less. I can make a few more things. <laughs> <laughs> like. But I think Renee really nailed it. And, um, you know, I, I, we can already see the path and it's been, been described by our industry partners here today uh, from the te technological side. But it's really about, you know, my vision would be the integration of this federal data into the sort of the fabric of our daily lives for the decision making that's going on. And, uh, you know, so coming to the studios today, hey, I had to make a decision how I'm going to get here. I pull open my, my, my app on my phone. I look at the different options. I make a decision. I got here on time. All okay, right. great. Right. Um, and, and certain parts of NOAA's data are being integrated, particularly the weather data is, is being integrated more and more into our daily lives. Um, but there's more opportunity than that, right? And it's opportunity for the American citizen to have a richer life with better information that they can make choices with. It's also an incredible um, opportunity, as uh, Renee was saying, for industry, because that, you know, what I call the interpretive layer between that federal data and the consumer, there's an enormous opportunity here uh, to take that federal data. If, they, if this interpretive layer can take that data, understand it, put it into these tools uh, that our panelists were describing today, and serve that up. Um, the, the economic advantages for this are, are incredible. I know it's part of the U.S. Department of Commerce. We want to encourage uh, additional growth in the economy and new jobs, and I think a lot of it is going to be based on this big data economy. Excellent. Excellent. 
Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to do some summary of what I heard here. I take notes as we go through, and I try to uh, end the program by trying to summarize some of the highlights that, uh, that I heard as we went through. When we were talking progress, uh, a couple things jumped out at me is uh, a number of folks talking about industry coordination, that it's going to take uh, industry government coordination to, to move these things. Uh, I like the fact we talked about big data and cloud sort of being almost seen together. You'd need to almost view and manage or think about them uh, as 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 a, together to really address some of the issues that um, we're, we're trying to do here uh, on progress. What really jumped out at me again was the uh, the idea that we're, we're looking at uh, programs that actually improve health and deal with saving lives and prolonging life and so forth. Uh, and that was uh, when we specific programs. I like that autopilot. Uh, I thought that was a really cool story in terms of. Um, I like the thing we're talking about uh, identifying uh, good officers. I thought that was a real unique thing that we're talking about. We talked in the programs about the making data available to more people and to open sources. We talked about health of astronauts. Talked about that CMS program that was uh, integrated uh, 3.3 billion uh, in fraud reduction, which I think that is a true success story in terms of a, a specific program. Lessons learned, I heard we need to uh, uh, focus on governance, that this stuff just doesn't happen. You need to uh, take some time to make sure you put the pieces in place. And then uh, as a, once you move into the programs, find out what are those right tool sets and be able to apply the correct tool sets to the correct uh, problems. Um, Renee brought up the fact that it's a different way to think, and I, um, I, I like that in terms of you know, turning that prism, it gives you that uh, idea that uh, it reshapes things that um, big data is forcing us to, to do that, think different. And, uh, and thinking different just leads to creativity and innovation. Uh, so, um, and we heard, I think, um, from Alan about uh, agility and speed and need to do things quickly in traditional ways that the government developed systems um, are not going to work with big data. Um, in terms of challenges, scale came up right out of the box. Um, and I guess it's an obvious one, huh? The big data, lots coming in, scaling that is going to be an issue. What, how are we going to do that? <clears throat> One challenge is too, we heard about you really need to know what you have. In a lot of places, we don't understand or even know exactly what we have. So knowing what you have uh, puts you in a position to be able to uh, find programs to deal with that. Uh, as always, culture popped in there. Um, uh, you know, there's you know, people have ways of doing things and you could change a job person's title overnight or you can tell them they have a different job overnight, but having them behave differently takes time, takes generations sometimes and takes turnover sometimes and moving around. Um, we heard a little bit in challenges of integration. I think Stephen brought it up integration with security that you need to understand that when we integrate a lot of these tools, there could be potential security issues because now you have all these systems coming together and the weakest link in there becomes your major issue that you have to, to, to look at. And we heard about training, uh, training being an important part. You don't want to put all these programs in place and you want to make sure they're used correctly and, and the people are, are trained to do that. 
In the future vision, we had some good stuff. Uh, we heard about services models. Um, we heard about uh, autonomous decision making, which I thought was a very interesting uh, concept there and how that can be done. Uh, we heard about data on demand. Um, and in, in the future, that's what it's going to be like. We heard about focusing on lives. And what I heard or that uh, makes me exciting is now that I have four kids, six grandkids, and another on the way, we're talking about programs that are going to benefit all of us down the road. Uh, with that, I want to uh, first thank our panelists for being here, taking time from your busy day and your busy jobs, an important job to spend some time sharing uh, your information with us. Thank our sponsors, uh, without which we don't have a show. Um, thank the good people here at Federal News Radio for all the uh, accommodations they give us each time we do this. And most importantly, thank our listening audience that tunes in to hear our show each month. You've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Thank you for listening to the 2017 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, proudly celebrating 12 years. This show was produced by the Treza Media Group and the Flysick Group. If you missed any portion of the show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsradio.com. 